to Luke's Gospel, chapter 5. I'm going to read a few verses out of the Gospel here in just a moment. Tonight, I'm going to lay just the short little bit of groundwork for a new series that we're going to be starting up this Sunday that I called Churchquake. In fact, I hijacked the title of it off a book that was uh, published a number of years back by uh, C. Peter Wagner called Churchquake. And um, he had some insight almost a decade ago into some things that have, have come to the forefront that I think are going to be very important for you to understand, to know about, to embrace, and to begin to see how that works in the life of a local church. Uh, we already function under many of the precepts of apostolic structure. Um, this church was founded with a revelation of the apostolic, and so our structure is apostolic. That may not make uh, any sense to you now. You may not have any understanding of that. You may not have any more after the series is over. Um, but uh, I just want to let you know that we're, we function under that sort of structure. The key is not so much that you have those structures, is that you have that revelation. You can have all kinds of organization and knowledge, but if you don't get revelation on certain things, it does you no good. And, and so we're going to be talking on this area. I believe it's going to be extremely relevant uh, in the coming year. So, you know, personally, I'm excited. And you know me, whatever I'm talking about at that moment, I'm excited about. So, uh, But I do believe that what I'll be sharing with you may have a lot to do in these coming years. You know, the church is not an institution. In fact, to be candid with you, a church is more like a family. At least it ought to be. And there are some families that our size families, you know, we have several hundred people. There are a lot larger families out there. And, and a church should be uh, more of a family than it is an institution. An institution, when you use the word institution, I think of the, uh, the adjectives intractable or inflexible. Uh, but the church is more family-oriented, or at least it should be. And it sometimes is defined with the word uh, organism. It is, it is organic. It is, it is, it's not just the, the, uh, uh, corporation papers. It's not just, you got your 501c3. It's not just that you, you, you got some program going on, but there's an organic aspect to church life that, that should allow for a sense of God's working and dealing and presence, uh, to move amongst us. Uh, God never changes. You do realize that. God never changes. I mean, the scripture is clear. Jesus, the same yesterday, today, and forever. That's what the Hebrew writer said. And while God never changes, the fact of the matter is the church must change. Because we're not God, right? So if we're not God, and of course the church is people, then, then if anybody's going to do any changing, I will assure you it won't be on his end. It'll be more on our end. And so we must respond to God and what he's doing. And God, who is gracious and patient, and long-suffering, uh, he doesn't just throw everything at us at once. Aren't you glad for that? You would be on overload. You know, I've had people come to me and they say, Pastor, I just want to know God's will for my life. Why won't God show me? Because if he showed you the whole shooting match, it'd blow you out of the water. And so he's gracious to only give you a sliver. And if you'll just obey the little bit he gives you, then he'll open up the door and give you even more. But we must learn how to respond to God, and we must learn what it means to change appropriately. Now, I'm just not talking about any old man-made change or the arm of flesh. I'm talking about God change. As God 
transforms us. The scripture says, 2 Corinthians, I believe it's 3.18, it says this, that, that we are being transformed from glory to glory. It says we all with unveiled face are beholding the glory of the Lord. And when we behold his glory, when we behold his presence, we are transformed, it says, from glory to glory. What that means is this. Hopefully, however long ago it was you accepted Jesus Christ, that, let's just throw a decade. Let's say you've walked with God now for a decade. We are believing that you are a different Christian now than you were 10 years ago. Can you say amen to that? I, I mean, if you're, if, if you're the same person you were as you were when you were saved and it's been 10 years, something's wrong. All right? And so we're being transformed from glory to glory. We are changing. I'm not the same person that I was. Uh, 30, what, three, almost four years ago. I'm not the same person. I, was, I started preaching when I was 19 years old. I told you I've pastored since I was 24 years old. I'm 52. I pray for those people. When I was 24, God knows I probably messed some of them up. I, you know, obviously I, I thought I was probably saying the right stuff, certainly sincere, zealous. But there are things that I preached 30 some odd years ago that I don't even know if I believe it today. Isn't that like you hate to admit that? But it's true. Same with you. I'll bet there are things you believed a decade ago that you don't even believe anymore. Or they've been amended or changed. Well, why is that? It's because you matured or you grew and God, God dealt with you. You encountered him. Some of you did not even believe God moved supernaturally until you were supernaturally dealt with. And you changed your whole theology changed. I share these things with you because God wants to pour things in his church and he wants to pour things into his people. But unless we're able to receive that and be transformed and be changed, what happens is it sits dormant. And so and so there's some happenings on the earth that that uh, graciously and gratefully our church is participating in. But we need to learn. We need to learn even to change and to, to move with what God's doing. There's a story that's told about, about the Swiss. Many of you may remember, you're old enough to remember when if you wanted a good watch, you went and got yourself a Swiss watch. I mean, I'm getting old enough now that I can say, do you remember? And I can, I can even remember, if you wanted a good watch, you went and got yourself a Swiss watch. They were the standard of the industry. The timing, uh, the workmanship, Swiss watches, they were usually a little more expensive. And at one time, Swiss watches held 90% of the market share. Now, when quartz and electronics came along, it's interesting. Because the Swiss were introduced to some updates first. And they rejected those updates thinking, well, we have a quality product. We're just going to keep doing what we've been doing. They refused to change or refused to assimilate some of these new findings that had come their way. And what happened was, as others began to pick these things up, they began to lose market shares. And, and pretty soon, uh, they became a much smaller, in fact, it went down, I think, somewhere around the 20% range. Can you imagine having 90% of the market share and then falling to 20% of the market share? And the whole reason it happened was because they refused to entertain appropriate change. Now, hear me now. God doesn't change. His word doesn't change. But listen to me very, very carefully. 
Sometimes I think the reason the church doesn't impact like it needs to impact is because God wants to do new things in us. And the fact of the matter is, we just, we just refuse to respond to God. And what happens is that we dwindle until finally we're of no influence anymore. And again, I don't think every change is necessarily a God change. But I do know that God, I just know from my own personal life, he does different things along the way. We're not changing truth. We're not, we're not changing his word, but you sometimes have to change the delivery system as to how that truth and that word gets out there. And anybody that's hung around me long enough knows that I'm as straight as an arrow and, uh, and I stand on God's word. But, but Jesus tells a story that kind of sets, sets the stage for some things I'm going to be talking about through these next five or so weekends. And it's about wineskins, understanding wineskins. So in Luke's Gospel, chapter 5, I want to read to you a parable Jesus spoke, and then we want to work with it just a little tonight. Jesus spoke a parable saying in verse 36, no one puts a piece from a new garment on an old one. Otherwise, the new makes a tear, and also the piece that was taken out of the new does not match the old. And no one puts new wine into old wineskins, or else the new wine will burst the wineskins and be spilled, and the wineskins will be ruined. But new wine must be put into new wineskins, and both, listen, both are preserved. And no one, having drunk old wine, immediately desires new, for he says the old is better. It's a great little parable that Jesus speaks here. Now, the context at the time, let me just share with you what he was drilling home at the time. The context at the time was that here he is, the Messiah, and, and, and I'm going to be incredibly swift and uh, imprecise, but it'll still communicate the meaning of the parable. So he's coming along. Jesus is ultimately going to introduce this thing we now know as Christianity, but as he comes as the Messiah, as he's coming to his people, the lost sheep of the house of Israel, he begins to challenge everything there is and what they've been doing for years. Can you imagine having centuries of religious history and you have your temple and you have your ritual and you have your priests and you have your ways and all of a sudden the Messiah shows up and he says, it's all changing and you've been doing this for centuries. Now, now. Understand how hard that would be, because remember, it wasn't that they just made up the temple, and it wasn't just that they made up these rituals, or that they made up. Now, there were some man-made traditions, no doubt, but a lot of what they did still had been instituted by God through Moses and the prophets. They were, they were doing things that even God had said, and there was a time God was on it. You go read the dedication of Solomon's temple. Man, God shows up, and it says that the priests couldn't stand. I mean, there was a glory and a power there. So this was in their history. Now all of a sudden, the Messiah shows up, and he, and he says, we're going to change all of this. All of this is, is going to absolutely change. Some of it because of your corruption. Some of it because you have no revelation and no understanding. Some of it because, you know, he's just God. You do know God can do whatever God wants to do. That's 101 right there. You will get, you will go far in the kingdom with that one right there. And so he looks at them and he tells this parable. Now, the first thing he begins to give them here is the story of the garments. And he, and he says that you can't take this, this patch and put it on like an old pair of jeans. 
Again, I remember my, my mom used to patch my jeans because I'd wear out the knees. And you could buy those squares at the store and you just iron them on. And so you'd iron that piece of denim on that. Yeah, you're shaking. You remember that, Ed. You're old enough to remember that, aren't you? You get and 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 I'd get that on my jeans. And at first it was good, but you know what used to happen, Amy? You know what happened? The ends, the ends would start to roll on that rascal, and it just looked terrible. You know, it just looked terrible. And and and, and the point being made is, oh, okay, the patch worked for a little bit, but the patch was not a long-term solution. And that's basically what Jesus was saying here. He's saying it works for a while, but the patch, the patching things, is never as strong as the original. And he said, I'm coming, the Bible says, full of grace and truth. You've been established in law, and we're not going to be able to totally patch this stuff together. And a lot of times that frustrates people. They always try to patch things together. And, and he says, patching isn't going to work. Even today, can I just share this? I'm, I'm leaping to some application. It's amazing how churches, in order to transition from being sort of an old school, that's what my son Clayton calls it, old school, to new school. Now, Brad, you'll appreciate this. Especially because it always hits the music department first. They do what they call blended service. You know what that is? That's patching. You're trying to patch something new on something old, and it kind of works. I mean, it sort of appeases everyone for a week, and then it blows. It just it so so patching just doesn't work real well. I've never been a fan of patching. Then he goes on to this next parable, which has to deal with wineskins. And I think I put on the screen overhead, a wineskin is a container that was made of animal skins. And when it was new, it could expand. Obviously, it would be what we call leather. It had a flexibility to it. And when it was new, if you put in uh, the grape or the fruit of the vine and it went through the fermenting processes and as it would release gas, uh, it had the capacity because it flexed a new wineskin it could, it could handle the pressure that was going to take place through the fermenting process of the grape that was put inside of there. And, uh, you know, I, you know my stand on drinking. I'm not, I, my stand is you ought not do it. But I won't go up that tree tonight. Simply to say this, that, that Jesus was saying something new was going to be coming and the wineskin or the structure or the container that it was going to be entering into was going to have to have some flex to it. See, our problem is both in our personal lives as well as in our corporate lives at times, and it's a challenge both personally and as a pastor, I have to continually evaluate it corporately as to where, where, where do you flex? I mean, I mean, there comes a moment that God wants to move in there, and if you don't allow the ability or the opportunity for the Holy Spirit to come and move in your midst, what he does is he blows it up. And some of you probably in your church life history have been a part of churches that the Holy Spirit showed up and things blew up. And we want to blame God. Don't blame God. Blame the wineskin. The wineskin did not have the capacity to handle what it was that God was doing. And so the point Jesus was making is that as that skin got older, it would become more brittle, intractable, inflexible. And when the new would come to it, and if it would begin to ferment, ferment, um, what would happen is it would just blow that wine skin up. And so the point is simply this. When God does something new, whatever, whatever there is to hold it, and, and, and listen to me, 
This is so important. Because the point of this parable is this. God wants whatever he does to be profitable in the earth. It is not God's heart to blow things up. It is not God's heart to just have this filled mess. God, See, that's why God's not against structure. Because out of structure comes profitability and possibility. And so God's not against containers. He just is about getting the right container, the flexible container, the container of the era. And, and that's what Jesus is trying to say here. Whenever God does something new... He's saying that whatever contains it, whatever structure, whatever, if we want to use the term organization, whatever type of container that receives that has to be flexible enough to retain all the emissions that are going to take place from whatever it is the Holy Spirit is doing. That's why I'll just give you some examples here. For those of you, and some of you have been around Pentecostal and charismatic circles for years, and some of you may remember the Brownsville Revival. You remember down in Pensacola, Florida, there was a great revival called the Brownsville Revival. We're, we're talking hundreds of thousands of people gave their life to Jesus in the 90s, 1990s, in, in Pensacola, Florida. And, and, and the church would be packed every night. My wife and I went down there. We stood in a line to get in church to go to the revival at 8 a.m., on like a Thursday morning and stood out there all day long under a hot Florida sun to get in to participate in the revival. Now, you know, I love church and I love coming to church, but I'm just here to tell you, there has to be God on the scene for me to stand outside at 8 a.m. to get into a 7 p.m. service. And, and I'm telling you, it, it was I, we weren't even the first ones in line. We were still back in the line. In fact, we got a seat on the bottom floor, but it was on the back rows of the bottom floor that tells you how many people beat us there that day it was an incredible revival that church was packed every night they turned people away every night it was a revival but can i just share this with you if you were to go to brownsville assembly of god today there'd only be a couple hundred people sitting in the seats why is that it's because it's because we never we never wrestle with the question what's the wineskin what, what, what's going to contain this move of God? I know we cry out for moves of God. We cry out for the presence of God. Believe me, I want God's presence to come. You know what I think, though? I think God says, there's no way I'm going to pour my, my spirit into that. I'll blow you up. I will blow you sky high. Why don't you just let me love you and encourage you and give me hope? But sure enough, if I give you a revival, it'll just go... Poof. So, Jesus says you can't pour new wine into an old wineskin, all right? The church, I believe, I'm talking about the church at large, is entering into what I call post, a post-Christian era. I don't like it. I don't like thinking this way. But, folks, truth of the matter is, is our nation, unless, unless a dramatic awakening comes to our nation, we are entering into and solidifying into a post-Christian era. I, I mean, it is no. It used to be. I, come on, we remember the days they'd pray at football games and baseball games, and you'd go to the city council and they'd pray. I'm telling you, it, we're fussing over nativity scenes and and whether or not you can have a cross on the side of the road. I, I'm telling you, we're entering into a post-Christian era, 
And in order for God to do his awakening like he wants to in this nation, we're going to have to embrace God's structure, God's plan, and God's strategy. It's not just God pouring out. It's, it's us allowing God to develop a wineskin that we can receive what it is he's doing in the earth. And it works both for us personally, you personally, me personally, as well as us corporately. Come on, if God did a new thing in your life, I know you what you'd say. You'd say, sure I can. Really, you think so? You think so? If revival came to legacy, can I just share with you some things? If real revival came to legacy, it would mean all of us here, if we really had a heart for souls, we'd be scrambling 24-7 to be in the house of God. I mean, your whole schedule would shift dramatically. Maybe there'd be no more overtime. Maybe there'd be no, there wouldn't be, I mean, your vacation would probably be eaten up by the revival. That's what we're, that's, you, you say, well, 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 this is my schedule. God's got to fit into my wineskin. No, he doesn't. He creates a wineskin that can, that he can inhabit. Are you following me? It happens that way in church life, too, I know. And people say, you know, well, pastor needs to let the Holy Ghost go. Well, let me tell you something. You need to let the Holy Ghost go. Everybody needs to let the Holy Ghost go. But the reason the Holy Ghost don't go is because oftentimes our structure can't handle it. Our lives can't handle it. All right? So we've got to, we've got to be sensitized and say, okay, God, how, how are you wanting, if it's personally, we say, God, how are you wanting me to, to structure my life? So you can fill it. And if it's us corporately, and that falls more in my, my oversight and purview, I have to say, okay, Lord, if you're wanting to send renewal and awakening to our city and you want to use our church, I mean, what does that look like? What, what, is, what does that mean? And that's why many, many denominations and churches become irrelevant. Many try to embrace the culture, but the key is not embracing the culture. That's not what God's asking of us. He's asking us to embrace his strategy in order that he can form his wineskin because it's not us, us reaching culture. It's him reaching culture through us. And I'm not just playing vocabulary games with you. It literally is what God is wanting to do. Now, why won't we change? I'm going to go through this rather rapidly. So I think, yeah, see, I put all five points up there because we almost had... You know, we almost had a, a riot here one night because I didn't let you write these things down fast enough. So, so I, you know, I don't want to. I don't want to solicit you into a rebellion. So we're going to put all five points up there, and you can write them down while you're listening, okay? But I'll walk through this a little bit slower. Number one, why won't we change, flex, or stretch? Number one, we just don't see the need. Ever met people? who are incredibly dysfunctional. Think about this. Think about the most dysfunctional person you may know. Whoever that may be. Could be a family member, could be a friend, could be somebody at work. That you know they're dysfunctional. <laughs> and if they're, if they're ever possibly confronted on it, or if, they're ever, if it's ever suggested that they might have issues, have you ever heard this phrase? Well, you know, that's just me. It's just me. It's just, it's how God, I've heard this. It's how God made me. You want to say, dude, don't blame you on God. God made me this way. This is just me, you know, and, and their whole attitude is sort of, you know, if you don't like me, that's tough. Take it or leave it. And most of us say, well, we'll leave it. You know. Now, that's just not people, but that's organizations, that's churches, that's businesses. We all do the same thing. 
and we do it to our detriment. The Judaism uh, uh, of Jesus' day never saw the need to change. Do you understand? They looked at the people, and basically what they said to the people was this. Take it or leave it. Take it or leave it. And they missed the move of God. Jesus and the life of God could not be held in the wineskin of Judaism of the first century. And because they refused to consider that Jesus might be bringing something new, that he was the Messiah, uh, they missed the life of God. In fact, Jesus wanted to come to them first. I've often said this, that the greatest critic of something new that God is doing are those who are part of the last thing that God was doing. It's, it's because they had, they, had, they had God, and all of a sudden, God has moved. The cloud has moved. But they've not moved. And nor do they want to admit that God is moving. Because, well, because they've, they've built things. And we've had that program. And we've done it this way for years. And it worked 50 years ago. And... You know, it's just we'll pray harder, we'll work harder, we'll we'll sing harder, we'll we'll snap the whip harder. And God's saying you don't have to do harder because there yet remains, the Bible says, a rest for the people of God. He's not saying do harder, he's saying, Are you available and open to the wineskin I want to bring in order that I can fill that? You see, God gets to choose. This is really cool. God gets to choose where he lives. And he don't have to live with us. You know? We don't see the need. Number two, why won't we change? Well, because it's hard work. I don't know if you ever know, change is hard work. I use this with people all the time. Everybody in this room has heard this, I know already. You've already heard my rocket story. I tell this to everybody. Everybody's heard my rocket story. If you haven't heard it, you're going to hear it again. My rocket story is this, that if you want to send a man into outer space and you put him on a rocket, the first 20 miles are the hardest miles that you will ever exert energy in in order to get to outer space. The first 20 miles, that's when all the fuel is used. That's when all the energy is released, those first 20 miles, to get out of our atmosphere. And from that point forward, you know, to get to the moon, once you go the first 20 miles, it takes relatively little energy to get to the moon. But it's that first 20 miles. I use that illustration about change. Change, for most people, any kind of change, when you enter into it, those first 20 miles are the hardest. Because you're changing mindsets and habits. You're changing things that you've done this way for years. You can't imagine it doing any other way. Don't ask me to change. I've got my routine. I don't want to mess with my routine. You'll go through everything and you miss the delight of seeing what could be seen in the outer limits. The reason we never get to the next dimension, the reason we never get to that next place is because we won't expend the energy sometimes that it takes to change our life, to change our, our structure, to just go through change. It's hard work. Change is hard work. Amen. Just, just think about you having to bring change into your life. Number three, we've tried before and we failed. I've done this before, and we failed at it. You know, according to Fortune magazine, most successful people fail at least seven times before they see success. I thought that was interesting. You know, you can learn a lot from failure. 
The Bible says that the righteous may fall six, yes, even seven times, but they will rise again. And I just encourage you that maybe, maybe you've had a little failure, changed and shake like you thought it would. Hey, get up, dust yourself off, go after it again. You know what? God will pick you up. He will dust you off. He will give you wisdom. He will show you maybe what you did wrong. And go forward. Number four, we're afraid. We're just afraid. Change is unpredictable, isn't it? And can I just share this with you? For most human beings, that's not what we like. We like predictable. We like things to be in order and in place. And we didn't sign up for the unpredictable. But God, listen to me, God wants you to eclipse your fears. This is a journey that you are on. It's not a rest stop. And you're walking with God. And as you walk with God, you're going to have to eclipse some of the challenges. I'll just share with you through the years, my wife and I, I mean, there have been moments. I'm not saying it was easy. I'm telling you, when we go through these change moments, it's as challenging for us as it is for any of you. And, and I realize our change isn't your change. It may sound easy for you. It was hard for us, but I look in things that you face sound easy to me, but they're hard for you. I can remember starting Legacy. We didn't have a paper clip to our name. Didn't know where the next check was coming from. We just started a church. Hallelujah. Well, let's just start a church. Yeah, well, where's this thing going to go? I don't know. We went to some wild places, didn't we? When we were out there, I went through this whole thing about buying property out there south of town. I don't know. You may not have known that. You know how comfortable it is to sit in here? It's just comfortable. I mean, it's pretty comfortable in here. Relatively cool in the summer. Relatively warm in the winter. I mean, why, why, why mess up a good thing? Everybody's used to it. But, but if it's not God, then our use to it becomes sin. Moving forward, all of us have our fears. We're afraid. And then finally, we're just selfish. Sometimes we don't change because we just flat out selfish. We hate change. Listen, because we're, to change means I have to move, let's say, from here to here. But if I move from here to there, I have to let something go. In other words, I'm going to lose something in order to go to here. And what's really hard for us is that is that it's easier for us to keep what we have, not knowing what it is we may face, rather than losing what we have in order to embrace something better. Are you following me? So what happens is we become simply selfish. We're just going to stay right here. Not going to move. Jesus said, I want to remind you of this. He looked at Peter and he said these words. He said to Peter, nobody who has left houses and lands and family members he said, no one that has left all these things for the sake of the vision, he said this to Peter, would not be restored 100-fold, he said, in this life. And can I just share this with you? I've left things all through the years. I've left my denomination not knowing what I was going to do. I left, and some of them left me, the friends of a lifetime. Can I just share this with you? I left a lot of nice people and a lot of good friends. But can I just share this with you? I've gained more friends than you can imagine. Better friends. Friends that when God's working on me, don't leave me. You, you can lose lots of things here, and that's all you're looking at is, and, and can I just share this? Don't, when, you, when you're going to the next place, don't, don't do this. Paul said, forgetting those things which are behind, I press forward to the high calling. All right, so... so We've got to press forward. So how do we prepare for this? I got five minutes. 
you're going to prepare in five minutes for great change. Amen. How can an old wineskin be transformed into a new one? Let me just share this. Historically, most organizations do not transition all that well. Just ask Jesus how it worked for Judaism. Most organizations and people don't change well. There has to be some revelation. That's why it's so very important that you get revelation. And once you get revelation, there has to be intentionalization on our part to walk this out. If God shows me something, it does me no good unless I walk it out. Are you following me? Now, even you may have revelation in this room, but if you've never acted on your revelation, then it's done you no good. You had a goosebump moment, and I hope you enjoyed it, and it's gone. But you get revelation in order that you can step into that new thing. All right? Some Jews thankfully got it. In fact, the original 12 disciples got it. That's why they followed him. Others would come along as well. But not everybody got it. They got it because they received revelation. All right? And the famous last words, as it says here, Jesus says the famous last words is this, the old is better. The old is better. I'm praying, and I do, I pray this all the time because as I'm getting older, you know, my musical tastes aren't the same. You know, with, with the young people, I listen to some of their musical tastes and I just go, wow, I don't get it. I'll never forget when my son brought me, this has been a number of years ago now, a United DVD from Hillsong. And he plugged it in and he was showing me this and how God was speaking to him through this. And Bill, it was one of those head banging, screaming, yelling. Now, I realized I grew up listening to, you know, the Rolling Stones and REO Speedwagon. And you would think, being an old rock and roller, that I could handle that. But I mean, he plugged in that United Hillsong DVD and they were, you know, and it's just doing all this. And I'm just, you know, I'm sitting there going, I don't, not only do I not feel God, I'm not even sure God was a part of it. And so, you know, I'm listening because it's my son. I'm listening and I'm not getting it. And I almost, praise God, the Holy Ghost still had me just for a moment there. I almost said something insanely stupid. But before I did, I watched him turn around and he had these tears running down his eyes. And it kind of took me aback. And he said, Dad, I believe God's calling me to the ministry. And I believe he's calling me to this school. And, I, and he started going on with all this stuff. And I'm sitting there going, have mercy. But, but at that moment, you see, at that moment, if I would have touched that saying, nah, the old is better, I'd have destroyed his future and his destiny. See, that's the famous last words of any dying person or any dying movement. The old is better. The old is better. Not always. Number two. Did I do embrace the idea? Yeah, God's on the move. Oh, well, let me say this. God's on the move and he's bringing change into all our lives. I don't know if I said that or not. I just said it. The Jews wanted a Messiah. They just didn't want him messing up their system. Isn't that true? We want God to move. Just don't inconvenience me. Hey, God, could you move between, if you could move between 10 and 12 on Sunday, that would be really, that would fit. I've already designed that for my life. That'd be pretty good. Maybe out of 6, 37, 30, I can do that on Wednesdays. Just don't inconvenience me. We want a Messiah, but you got to fit in all this stuff we're doing here. So send the Messiah. We're crying out for a Messiah. Just make sure it fits in what we're doing. See, it's one thing 
I've always said this, it's one thing to want something theoretically, it's another thing to get it in reality. We all want God to move in theory, don't we? Everybody says amen. Yes, let's have revival. And the, and the congregation said amen. And when it hits, all of a sudden it's oh my. No, 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 pastor. The old is better. I liked it the way it was. You know, I liked it. I liked those other songs. I liked that other stuff. I liked it. I liked the old. The old is better. So you got to embrace the idea that God's on the move. Number two, got to hurry. Ooh. Well, you'll give me two, three more minutes, won't you? You got to believe that God has your best intentions at heart. Do you believe that God has something good for you? Do you really? Well, guess what? You're going to have to change to get there. If it would come to you like you are, then you'd have it. But God's going to bring change to your life so he can bring you into the good thing that he has for you. And you, by your intractability and inflexibility, at times are hindering the very good thing that God is trying to bring to you. God loves me so much that he keeps messing with me. And he's changing me. Number three, you got to keep the goal of the change at the forefront. Don't get focused on what's changing. You got to keep looking at the goal that's ahead. If change has brought loss, and that is all you can see, as I mentioned earlier, if all you can see is what you've been losing, then it will make you bitter because you'll keep saying, look what I lost. Look what I've given up. Look what's been taken away. And you'll get bitter. But if you keep looking forward to that which God has for you, you'll keep pressing in optimism, saying there's a better day. God has something greater and, and, and larger and mightier and amazing, and you'll get excited about it. And then finally, number four, Write this one down. It's not about you. This is about God's glory and purposes in our life and the life of his church. You know what? I, I, I've read the purpose driven life from Rick Warren, and I, I don't know that I adhere to everything he shared, but I, I, I adhere to the very first line of the book, and it reads like this. It's not about you. Amen, Rick. It's not about you. It's about him. Amen. Now, you see, all I'm doing is I'm just sowing some concepts on Wednesday night because Sunday when we come and we begin to talk about what God, the structure God's bringing and, and the wineskin God's bringing, hopefully that'll bring excitement to you because it has, it has incredible relevance as to you being enlarged and as to you being a, a functioning supernatural believer. It has an incredible amount to do with that. And so I'm excited about sharing those things. So let's just stand and let's just let God uh, start making us a pliable wineskin. Amen.